0: My people, my people, it is time for the Week in IndyCar Listener Q&A. Got a big old dumb smile on my face. Why? We got a lot of fun stuff to talk about here. A little Marshall Pruitt podcast of mine brought to you by Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, and TorontoMotorsports.com. Got two uh, co-pilots here this morning. Our cat Rocky, he is asleep, face down, drunk at the bar on my right. Got Rosie, similar, on my left. Uh, Another round of appointments today. It's been a fairly busy and unflinching last week. Plus, I think the the tally through Saturday was 14 appointments in 13 days, something like that. And so we've already had a couple this week, but none of that's a bad thing. It's all positive. Uh, My wife continuing to make great, great progress looking forward here to getting back to a motor racing circuit during an organized event in just a couple of weeks. It'll be the Rolex Monterey Motorsports Reunion Prehistorics, as they call it. It's the weekend prior to the big vintage event there. Been covering that for, I don't know, 10, 12 plus years, usually at the the expense of whatever IndyCar race is going on. So going to duck down on that Saturday, which I believe is the same Saturday as qualifying for the music grand Prix Nashville street race. But Hey, uh, wouldn't think of, of missing the actual race itself. So I'll be back home for Sunday to cover that, but that's moving in our little world. Hey, posted a silly season update, which took a little while to put together, but Really enjoyed that. A lot of your questions are on uh, the variety of things covered there, so we'll get to that here shortly. What can I tell you about the feedback from that? So the fun thing is, when you're doing a Silly Season update, you always expect some folks to get a little bit grumpy. These are the things that, for the most part, racing teams or could be in any other sport, they're trying to keep their moves and intentions as quiet as possible of course, those things never happen. So you spend a lot of time on the phone, talk to a lot of people. The vast majority, 99%, uh, 1,000% off the record. Don't put my name on it. We never spoke. I don't even know who you are. Uh, that's the normal routine. So that's why when you read these updates, it's not Team Owner X or Driver X says this. It's here's the information, and I wouldn't publish it if... This wasn't something that was uh, dug into very heavily, and had a lot of a uh, lot of real information attached to it. So uh, we'll get to that in just a moment. But when you publish something like that, you always expect a little bit of pushback. And could it be a driver? Could it be a team manager? An owner? Or whomever? So the fun part was no pushback. So again, that's usually a pretty good indicator that to your knowledge, to my knowledge, to their knowledge, there's nothing that stands out as uh being off track. Again, I was there's no question at all when I submitted it as to the veracity of what was inside. There was one note that came in this morning and I loved it. And it it's from a friend from a uh, from a pal, Stuart Morrison, part of the Haas Formula One team, uh communications specialist and expert there. And he took umbrage, and I love this. Uh, and I know what it's like. Uh, I've I've worked for you know for a terrible IndyCar team uh, before. Uh, sent a note and said, "Hey man," uh, read the piece. Uh, we weren't the worst Formula One team last year. Uh, we finished ahead of Williams, and I am paraphrasing. And he's right. And so I sent in a request for a little update to that. Line uh, to change the reference to Roman Grosjean driving for the worst team in Formula One last year to one of the worst, but I do love that. It's like, hey, uh, technically we weren't last, so therefore you shouldn't say we we were the worst, and I can't argue. So it's a good point. A little bit cheeky, right? You look at where they are right now, and you go, ah, I don't know if you if you could make that argument this year, but referring to last year, so can't argue, they were next to worst. So anyways, that's the one piece of uh, pushback that we got. Uh, what else? Saw, thanks to racers Formula One and Formula Two reporter Chris Medland, that a young lad from Denmark, who, to my... Uh, admitted embarrassment here i'd never heard of uh and it's just it's my ignorance doesn't mean anything negative about the kid just uh, i need to do a better job of of knowing uh kids in the european open wheel ladder that uh, christian lundgaard tested for ray hall Landigan lanagan racing on monday at barber he was the apparent tbd i think i mentioned last week maybe that had had some folks in the indycar paddock say hey we see on the testing schedule ray hall is due to go to barber we see that they're due to test oliver askew and then there is good old to be determined and uh yeah turns out Lundgaard is the one who was uh now determined i have no information as to how he did or how oliver did uh we'll hopefully find out more i do would assume that he might be in play for something. I don't know, but I always love when we see a kid coming out of somewhere that we don't entirely expect rock up and express an interest in IndyCar and go as far as paying to test and getting some laps in and thinking about whether uh, they might come here and play. So race winner in formula two, not having the best year, uh, apparently as i read in snoop medley meds piece this morning but anyways uh interesting uh so that we'll throw that into the next silly season piece so beyond that what else can i tell you before we get rocking and rolling uh, added some new more new stuff to the marshall pruitt podcast merchandise page uh some new stickers there some additional memorabilia and i'm gonna keep going on that and, hopefully get to a place to where i feel like there's plenty for everyone i know that there's a lot more indie car related stuff i want to add but some models and blah 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 all kinds of stuff going on there if you have an interest in motor racing memorabilia and stickers and whatnot would advise you to check out marshallpruettpodcast.com and a merchandise page whatever you buy hey maybe this is a slogan helps my wife and i look at that all right a uh, little bit of music bed here and it's time Thanks to our pal, Jim Kaiser, the man who puts together your questions each week. Time to get to those questions here. And where should we start? Well, we're going to start with our pal, Jamie Rowe, Daniel Summersgill, and Justin Holmes, all talking about ooh, the shocker, true shocker, of Jack Harvey leaving Meyer Racing. In hindsight... Had I been better at my job, I think I might have known about this at least a week sooner than I did. Uh, And if I remember to talk about that, I'll mention that at the end of Justin's question here. But Jamie opens things up, says, MP, hope you and Mrs. Prout had a great vacation and she is back at it kicking cancer's ass. She is indeed Jamie and we already feel like we need to go back on vacation, but uh, that's a topic for another day. says, the Harvey announcement shocked me. I have thought he has sounded unhappy in strategy calls and pit mistakes like the Indy Grand Prix and 500 qualifying tire incident. says, do you think any of that precipitated his departure or did he just get an offer he couldn't refuse? He also closed with asking, is the AutoNation sponsorship with him or the team? Because Harvey's statement sounded like it was going with him. Let's go in reverse order here, just because that's probably what my brain can do the best right now. He is the catalyst for AutoNation being involved with IndyCar and the Marshank Racing Team. I would expect, I don't know this to be a fact, but I just have to assume it is a part of the deal. That AutoNation will be following him to Ray Hallerman Lanigan Racing, which I've written that is where everyone on Earth tells me he is driving, and I'll just say that I was left with no question as to that being his destination as Graham Ray Hall's new teammate next year. So, AutoNation was announced as staying with Meyershank Racing. They're also involved with the number 28 car driven by Ryan hunter Ray at Andretti Autosport. So if you look at the two primary entries where AutoNation is represented, would say it is fairly safe to assume Jamie that when we get to next year it will be 3 with three teams Andretti, Shank, and Ray Hall. So would say that's a pretty safe assumption to make. You ask about the precipitated, premeditated, pre something departure, or did he just get an offer? I don't have a straight answer for you on that. I can say without a doubt that if you are a driver who is wholly dependent upon a team hiring you, Compared to a driver like Jack, who has some quality sponsors behind him, keep in mind he introduced Sirius XM CEO Jim Meyer to Michael Shank, which has led to their union as Meyer Shank Racing and the car's primary sponsor being there. Jack's really good at driving a race car and really good at meeting people and making quality relationships and turning that into support. So knowing that, knowing that Jack is not like some of the other drivers in the series who is hoping to get a call, hoping to become employed, and is at the mercy of a team owner to keep him in their employ, Jack wields a bit of power, and that is financial power. So not placing him in the classic ride-buying driver category. He is not that. As we have seen, he certainly has the speed and the talent to be hired on merit. It's not always the case with those who bring some or all of the budget to be in their car. Jack, by coincidence, is able to live in both worlds of bringing money and being extremely good. When you have that power, that power obviously comes with decision-making capabilities and expectations. We've seen some drivers stuck in not great teams and they don't have the power to influence change. They can ask, they can insist, they can pound the table and stomp their feet, but they do not hold a key. They do not hold leverage. Jack, I would say, would be someone to look at what is coming back in terms of return on investment and likely ask, is this going to change in as rapid a fashion as I hope? Or could there be somewhere else, someplace else in the paddock to go with my partners, with the sponsors and find a potential upgrade? I have to believe, Jamie, that you are on a a fairly sharp path here of Jack both getting a little bit frustrated with some of the team-based mistakes. He's also made some mistakes too, right? This is certainly not 100% on Marshank Racing this year, but yes, indeed, still a growing team going through growing pains. Is there a thing where he might be feeling that he has reached a place that is above where the team is at and looked and asked himself, Are they likely to rise and match me, if not exceed, which would then elevate me even higher? Or do I need to consider a change of scenery? He is wickedly smart, a self possessed person, which is great, and. I have to believe that this is certainly an inner reconciliation he's made with himself and said, you know, it might be time for a change. Whether that was leading to any kind of gotta-go-now type deal, I don't know if I want to say that was the case. But I can tell you this. Around the time that I heard Takuma Sato was going to ramp things down at the end of the year. That timing of me hearing that aligns with what I have come to understand would be the I guess general, hey is there a possibility could there be something there type arrangement with Harvey. Can't claim that these things line up exactly the day that this decision was made with Sato things picked up with Harvey, but I can tell you this two things that jump out as of mid Ohio, right? So I know we've got to go back a couple of weeks, but as of, you know, July 4th, three weeks ago, approximately everything was in motion for Jack Harvey to sign and stay with Meyers racing coming out of mid Ohio can't tell you whether it was a couple days, whatever it was, but shortly after Mid-Ohio was finished, started to hear about the likely change of scenario for Sato. I don't have a 100% picture on that. Got to admit, I've asked the team. They gave me a bit of a story, which I knew was not accurate, but again, it's their choice to not tell me the truth. Um, I can't tell you if Takuma is retiring uh stepping back to a part-time role only doing the indy 500 doing nothing at all switching to sports cars i have no idea. truly can't tell you all i've heard is takuma will not be back as the full-time driver of the number 30 honda so again we'll see if and what the team announces or doesn't announce maybe he will change his mind or honda will change its mind those that support him financially all things in this silly season are subject to modification until something truly formal is announced. But just sharing that at least coming out of mid Ohio, Jack was meant to sign everything going forward as planned and a statement in my first silly season update that I did days before mid Ohio. One of the calls was to Michael Shank to say, Hey, Harvey, out of contract at the end of the year. What are you thinking? Going to make a change? Going to stay? And he said, have no real intention to look anywhere else. Uh, do plan to stick with Jack. Just got to get all that signed and, and buttoned up. And however I phrased it in that Silly Season piece, that was a direct reflection couple days before that race weekend from Shank on the situation. Something clearly changed not too long after that event uh, in terms of Jack. Also the Sato timing that I mentioned as well. And I think it's somewhere in here. We have to assume, Jamie, that there was some form of outreach, whether it was Ray Hall outreaching to Jack, Jack connecting with them, maybe having heard the same thing. I don't know. Uh, neither side is talking or filling that part out. Hopefully they will. Uh, here in the very near future will also mention that when i called a certain friend who co-owns that team to ask about the sato side uh, and about what i'd heard the immediate reaction on the phone was as if there was a big thing that was going on that there was an assumption i was calling about and i didn't fully get that reaction and what that was and so I think in hindsight, I had I treated that reaction incorrectly. I played that hand poorly. And so having stuck to what I was calling about, one or two other things as well, uh, I think I failed to pick up on, well, there was no mention of Jack. I think there was something bigger going on that they assumed I knew about and pushed back on right away. So I think there might've been something there that I missed out on y'all. It's just, again, for full admission that uh, I do my best, but like, I'm not that good. You know, I should be better. That's all I can tell you. So <sighs> factor in, Jamie, to close on this, that Takuma Sato is supported by Honda. We Again, this is not a unknown thing. I don't know what the number is on the car, right? I don't know how much uh whether it's half the budget or whatever else, but knowing that annual budget varies from about 6 million to 8 million a year, if we assume Jack might need to come up with half of that or 40% or whatever else, I mean, I've got to believe that that's within his capabilities. Uh, within his network of sponsors. So Sato not returning to the 30, opportunity opening up, Jack being held in high regard by the team, as I wrote in the Silly Season piece, uh, former Aero McLaren SP general manager, whatever his title was, Pierce Phillips, got to know Jack when Shank was aligned with that team in 2018. I believe that there's, a general uh, love for Jack within RLL and some of its uh, most influential people. And all of a sudden, a guy who's very fast, great with sponsors, great at finding sponsors could be the person we expect to be confirmed as Graham Ray Hall's new teammate. Uh, Daniel Summersgill, as we get into this larger first opening topic, as we usually do each week says, could Andretti Autosport request that Kyle Kirkwood takes the vacant Shank racing seat in return for continued or increased technical support in 2022 great question here daniel i mentioned that in something that i wrote that boy this kid sure seems like a heck of a fit i know that there is great interest within Andretti autosport to hold on to the indy lights championship leader i'm just unaware of the seat he would fill within Andretti Autosport. Could they expand to five cars? I guess. Is there full funding for Kyle? Not that I'm aware of. Does Michael do things just for fun and spend his own millions to run a driver that, you know, uh, wasn't his son? I don't think so. So, not saying there's zero chance that Kirkwood ends up in one of the uh, vacant Andretti Autosport cars, but... Just hearing that, as I wrote, Grosjean ex- is expected to be in Hunter Ray's 28 uh, starting next year, and that Devlin De Francesco, another Andretti Autosport Indy Lights driver, is expected to be in Hinchcliffe's car in 2022. Are those things final? I haven't heard that. Are they super close? I've heard that. So Kirkwood, Oliver Askew seems to be pretty popular these days, uh, which is a great thing. Those are the four drivers for those two vacancies that I've heard uh, the most in terms of being associated with those seats. If by chance Kirkwood is not in one of those seats, yes, I would think Andretti Autosport would look to try and recreate a uh, Harding-Steinbrenner racing type affiliation With Meyershank Racing and put Kirkwood in a car. And do I think Kirkwood would be pretty darn amazing? I do. I really do. So there's some other drivers that I mentioned that might be suited for that upcomingly vacant number 60 Meyershank Racing Honda, including Simon Pagino and Hunter Ray. Could an Alex Albon be on their radar? Again, all things possible but i know this and i didn't put it in print because it just didn't seem like it fit anywhere actually i may have put it in print i've just forgotten but on the topic of drivers and i shared a couple of drivers (coughs) contacts with uh mike shank when we spoke on whatever day that was uh thursday or friday uh he mentioned whomever We choose, whomever I choose. I know I'm going to get a lot of flack for it. So it was a bit of a strange reaction. I got to admit, Daniel, I didn't fully get the context there. Uh, Does that mean they're leaning towards someone who truly nobody likes? Uh, I don't know, but we'll see. Uh, A lot of great choices to be had there. A lot of great choices to be had. So as Justin Holmes asks regarding that 60 car opening, uh, who do you think has a realistic chance Uh, or could Shank try and go big with some of the names that I've mentioned? I don't have a feel. I really don't. If I'm advising my old pal, Mike, I'm telling him, yeah, you could go after a young gun and Dreddy could say, Hey, could you run Kirkwood for however long? That wouldn't be a bad thing, but if I'm looking at what the team needs, everything it needs to improve is internal. It's not quality of driver. It's all the little things Jamie mentioned, whether it's strategy, pit stop, just whatever having someone who is going to say hi i've been part of a high 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 level organization for many years i'm known for being the most unrelentingly precise and exact person in that team i'm gonna nitpick you to death but that's what you need to get to where you want to be that's not elio castro nevis i love elio i'm not saying anything critical of him here just saying that elio is known as the climb in and drive the wheels off of any and everything he'll give you obviously he's going to give you some tips on how to improve and hey this is how penske did some things maybe we should do things this way instead of that way all that great and again those are all valuable contributions but Pagano is the worst professor you've ever had, who will not let any little mistake go, and wants you to be an A plus student with a 4.0 grade point average at all times. That's who he is, and I know it can be wearing, and it can be exhausting at times. But those are the things that Meiershank Racing needs to have a realistic shot of fighting and beating an Andretti, a Ganassi, a Penske, an Aero McLaren SP, or a Ray Hall, etc., et, cetera, et cetera. It's all the little stuff. And got to keep in mind, Meierschank Racing keeps adding great people to their team. This is still, however, a sports car racing team finding the best practices in IndyCar to the point to where hopefully here in the very near future, they will be a IndyCar team that also has a sports car team. If we're talking levels and leveling up. IndyCar is definitely a, a harder target to hit in terms of success than any other place Marshank Racing competes. So it's just here where, as I mentioned in the Silly Season piece, Pagano, of all the people I'm looking at who could be had, that's the guy. That's the guy who gets them to that place where they can be high expectations and a reasonable expectation to meet those expectations from race to race to race. Is Simon Pagino a guy to drive for them for the next five years? I don't think so. But on a one, two-year contract, I think we look at the backside of that once it's done and look at Marshank Racing and say, whoa, this is, uh, this is something fierce and to be feared. Going with a rookie like a Kirkwood or, or a Young Gun, you're going to have some awesomely cool, flashy performances from time to time. You're going to be impressed from time to time for sure. Don't see how the team gets that much better from going down that path. All right, we are moving on to Jeremiah uh, from Twitter, at Jeremiah S-C-H-N. Hey, MP, hope all's good. I was wondering with your insight that Harvey has become the favorite for, uh, you mentioned the third RLL car. Again, I've not heard that for the third I've heard that for the second says who do you see uh or what do you see for the future with Santino Ferrucci and IndyCar hmm got to admit Jeremiah I haven't put a lot of thought into future for Santino I know that he has done a very good job for the RLL team so far this year spoken about that on the podcast multiple times written about it multiple times guy is a race day gamer for sure not totally set on his long-term contributions to the team though refer back to another thing that i added in the silly season piece that rll in general has been just half a step behind the bigger teams in terms of speed this year that's engineering discoveries that need to be made to make the cars faster would say that reputationally santino fits more the elio castroneves model i'm gonna drive the wheels off this thing sometimes literally uh but boy i'm gonna drive this thing as hard as it could be driven not necessarily known as a feedback guy someone who's going to arm the engineers with amazing details to make his car and possibly the other cars better and faster so knowing that RLL's need is for strengthened engineering drivers play a huge part of that I question as to whether Santino would be viewed as someone to hold on to um, in 2022 Uh, so if that happens to follow where I think it might go With him not going back to RLL, not saying I know anything about that, I'm just saying knowing their need, he doesn't seem to fit it, so I would think they might look elsewhere, provided that third car has funding. What I don't know, Jeremiah, is where he would land within IndyCar, knowing that he is not bringing sizable money or whatnot to make make that happen. So, in the absence of having that roughly $2 million, I've heard, that uh, he brought the last couple of years to coin, um, we're talking hiring somebody. Where does he go? So, we're talking about teams with seats that pay, in theory, until our French fry, Sebastian Bourdais, is signed or re-signed to Foyt. There's the 14-cart Foyt. There's... Nothing that I can think of at Andretti for him. Nothing at Arrow McLaren SP or Carlin or Ganassi. I don't know if Coyne, uh would have him back. If they would have him back without, or I should say, with a change in dynamic of them paying him, truly, that could be a good thing. So maybe that's the one place that jumps out as a leading candidate. Know of nothing at Ed Carpenter Racing, Meershank, uh Ray Hall again, uh, or Penske. So, yeah, I wonder if Coin a reunion with Coin after a very brief uh, split is where he could end up. Other than that, maybe I'm suffering a failure of imagination. Not much else comes to mind, Jeremiah. Uh, Daniel Summerskill is back, he says MP. Do you think Romain Grosjean having a successful, comfortable weekend at Gateway could be pivotal in determining the 2022 driver market? Says Hashtag me personally. A driver running all the tracks must be more appealing to the bigger teams than one who is only doing the road and street courses. I do. I would say that for all that I've heard about Romain being... Expected to join Honda HPD as a factory-affiliated driver. The significant effort to make him the new driver of the number 28 car. It would be strange for those things to happen if there wasn't some form of belief that he would be full-time adding in the ovals. I know that, of course, we need to get through that event here, what, a little under a month from now? 21st of August at Gateway? know that we need to get through that unless he hates it. I mean, could there be a scenario where who knows, uh, he does the road and street courses in the 28 and Hunter Ray is held on to for the ovals. Obviously, uh, Ryan's not too bad on the ovals. Um, I think there's plenty of, of machinations here we could come up with, but yes, to your point, Roman, the full time driver, Grosjean, is definitely the one that any team and any manufacturer would want. Uh, Romad, the part-time guy, just trying to look at obvious things here, Daniel. I don't know if Andretti or Honda HPD would go through these efforts if they thought there was no chance of him being more than a road and street course guy. Let's go to Nick Papondria. How you doing, Nick? Says, all the best to you and your wife, kind of you, and the kiddies. You hear that, Rock? You hear that, Rose? Uh, asks, I was wondering about the 28 car for Andretti Autosport. Says, rumors are Ryan hunter Ray is out, but uh, who will fill that seat? Uh, and you also mentioned who is a third or fourth car for RLL. Uh, is, is a third or fourth car uh, at RLL more desirable than the 28? So covered a lot of this off, Nick, but did want to pick up the third or fourth at RLL. Uh, have heard a rumor that there could be a fourth RLL car in motion for next year without betraying confidences. It would come as a massive surprise if there was a fourth RLL car next year. Of course, never say never, but to the, which one might be better? The 28 card and dready, or a third or fourth at Ray Hallard and Lanigan would say that it's been a little while since both teams were at their full awesomeness, but there is that one outlier that we've seen, which is Colton Herda, who's been doing all andretti's winning, showing that they can be a front runner. We did get Rossi, Alexander Rossi, back to somewhere where he should be in terms of finishing positions. Hunter Ray has had another terrible year. I wouldn't pin that on the 28 car, though. So would say between the two at the moment, Nick, uh, we'd certainly be choosing that 28 seat over anything else in terms of desirability and peak potential. Uh, let's go to br from Reddit. Says, would it be a good move to sign Ryan Hunter Ray to replace Connor Daly at Ed Carpenter Racing next season? Says, I think it would be a great move given that the number 20 car hasn't been competitive on road and street courses of late. Well, would it be a good move? Thousand percent, Arrows BR. No question. But we're overlooking the one key thing here, uh, which undermines the whole concept that road and street course opportunity in the number 20 car comes with a price tag and not a price tag because Ed Carpenter just likes to profit off of people. Uh, The person doing the majority of the races in that car and that in recent years has been what Ed Jones, obviously Connor here. Uh, There's someone else whose name I'm uh, good. uh, Jordan King. Uh, They provide, the majority of the funding for the number 20 car. So if we consider that Ed is, quote, only doing the ovals, that's a pretty small slice of the pie if you look at the overall number of races on the calendar. So would Hunter Ray be awesome to sign? Absolutely. Who's paying for it? And since Ryan Hunter Ray does not bring uh, three quarters of a budget with him, Uh, and is indeed someone who has been paid for many, many, many years, instead of paying, there is a big problem. So unless a sponsor says, yes, we will pay for Hunter Ray, uh, there's no way Ed Carpenter would sign him or any other really great driver because he needs someone to pay for that opportunity, as Connor has done for two years now. Uh, Race fan 21 from Reddit as well. Is it possible that Takuma Sato goes back to and ready? Possible. We're talking Indy 500 entry, but I've not heard a thing about him going there. A haven't heard about it. Haven't heard anything about that. If he becomes a true free agent and wants to continue racing an Indy car, keep in mind, he's what? 44. I think not that that's crazy old, right? Uh we have a number of drivers uh competing right now while in their forties in IndyCar. Uh he'll be forty-five when the season starts next year. I don't know what he has in mind. Uh if he wants to keep racing in IndyCar, but just time for a different team, or if he's done altogether, if he's doing the eighty five hundred only, as I mentioned earlier, again, don't know. But I would say that Ray Hall Letterman Lanigan racing would be Really smart to hopefully hold on to him for the Indy 500 if he's done with the full-time deal. And if there's nothing to be uh, had in terms of that with them, I would totally expect Android Autosport to reach out and uh, see if maybe getting the band back together for Indy could be a possibility. But it's a lot of ifs and maybes and who knows right now. Dear race fan twenty one, uh, Jeremiah Morrell. how you doing, pal? Uh, half of the Jeremiah uh, power couple, yourself and your awesome wife Sarah, uh, says silly season question: What are options for Hinch in twenty twenty two if he doesn't return to Andretti? Where does he left Ray Hall at the altar for twenty twenty one? And Ganassi looks full. Is coined the best shot at him being on the grid? This is all based on the assumption it must be a Honda. Don't know if... Let me rephrase that. Unaware of the Ray Hall side and any altar stuff there, um, I'm aware that Sato was meant to be done at the end of 2020. Then he won the 8500. And guess what? <laughs> you don't... <laughs> shut her down after doing that, and there was full support returned for him to race this year. So where Hinch might have fit in Ray Hall, uh, I don't know. I'd only heard about him working with Andretti to be with Andretti for 2021, which he has ended up doing. Uh, yeah, Coin does jump out as a place that, while maybe not as glamorous and whatnot as the majority, actually all the teams he's driven for. Uh, if we're talking supply and demand, that does jump out, Jeremiah, as a place that would need a star if we're going to court a sponsor, if we are going to try and hire, or I should say sign as Dale often does a driver from somewhere that we might not have heard a lot about. You know, Dale has his fixation on Europe, European open wheel ladder. Uh, couldn't say whether Hinch would be a great fit for the 18 car, the one that Dale co-enters with Vassar Sullivan or his own entry. Um, whatever number that ends up being from year to year, uh, Obviously, he's got Rick Ware involved with that co-entry with Romain Grosjean right now. But again, that seems to it's a bit of a, a rotating door of who partners or doesn't partner on that car. Um, I would say whether it's no matter what side, I think Hinch would be a highly complimentary presence for Dale. Does James Hinchcliffe want to drive for a Dale Coin? Couldn't tell you. Would he rather try and do the Indy 500 each year while enjoying a new broadcasting full-time opportunity? I don't know. Can say. Can't find any other places that jump out for him to go where the team is saying, come on. Or the team is saying, hey, we've got sponsors. We're going to pay you to drive. Uh, Coin might be just about the only place where with not a ton of sponsorship money in tow, uh, maybe a deal could be had. So, yeah. Yet another, Jeremiah, yet another Silly Season piece where there's a lot of angles to it. And... I really do hope that we have Hinch in the series next year, uh, fully healed, fully capable, and to, as he moves into the, I don't know if it's quite the twilight of his IndyCar career, right? I mean, he's 34. He'll be 35 when the season starts next year, but he's been doing this, what, 11, 10, 11 seasons? Um, It doesn't feel like there's another big bump Waiting for him. Big new opportunity somewhere else. Although this is just my own feelings compared to any deep insights that I've learned from other areas. Started out with Newman Haas. Moved to Andretti. Won a number of races with Andretti. Moved to Schmidt-Peterson Motorsports. uh, Signature driver there. Had some success, definitely had some adversity, good time with th- some highlights, but wasn't overly filled with awesomeness from start to finish. Ended poorly, spent a year on the sidelines, able to come in and help Auto Autosport Found a full-time opportunity with Andretti Autosport. He's been dealing with that leg injury all season, which has ruined his season. I just would love to see him if he has the opportunity to come back. Have not heard that his major sponsor Genesis is returning. I hope I'm wrong. I've just been told by many, many people. They're out at the end of the year. So again, hope that's wrong, but that's what I continue to hear. In the absence of big financial power and decision-making capabilities, I would hope that our man Hinchcliffe, who contributes so much to IndyCar, can at least get one more run, two more runs, something to remind us of his full capabilities. So this year, with the best finish of 14th across 10 races... We've never seen him as that guy. We've never, that's never been who he is. So there's no reason to believe that's who he's become. Uh, So yeah, uh, my little heartstrings are pulling here for the good old mayor. Let's keep rocking here. Will Fla 29 from Reddit. Marshall, best to you and the family. Thank you. Says this might belong in the silly season part of the silly season. There's a lot of rumors flying around from at least semi-reliable sources that Rossi's contract is going to be bought out. Have you heard anything related to this? If so, any hint as to who is doing the buying? Have heard that suggested. There's only one place that comes to mind where such a thing could or might happen. If that's an option, I don't know if that's an option. Granted, I mean an option as in something written into that contract. Is there always the possibility for a driver and team with an ironclad contract to decide to cancel that contract part ways early, whether through happiness or another team wanting to get a hold of that driver and the team saying, great, pay us a lot of money for a buyout, uh, and then you can do that? Those are all options, of course. But in the general sense, I would say that, Penske's the only high-profile team with a vacancy. Obviously, I'm excluding Andretti Autosport because that's where he is. And it would be pretty awesome if Andretti bought him out of his contract to sign him to a new one. That would be some Jedi-level mind uh, effing. Um, I can't think of anyone other than Penske with the money and the potential interest. So that'd be the only place. Talking... Have I heard heard that there might have been some possible interest a year ago about this and it did not lead to anything? Could that change now? Again, anything is possible, in particular right now in the silly season. Would just also share that if we look at Andretti Autosport and the importance that Alexander Rossi has within that team, within its sponsor package, Napa obviously, AutoNation is a part of that. Um, This guy's pretty darn important to the team and some of its bigger sponsors. So if you look at the dollars and cents, whatever a buyout might be, is it, a million dollars, is it two, is it whatever, it's not going to exceed the jeopardy being placed on the team. Uh, unless sponsors, to a, my shock and awe, all of a sudden don't like Alexander Rossi and don't want him to be their driver, uh would just say that there's a fully invested thing with Rossi and the sponsors on his entry that would make me believe sure a buyout if it were to happen it'd have to be a crazy number because Andretti would need to backstop potential losses in sponsorship uh he certainly would not allow such a thing without those sponsors signing off on that and then you go to the next stage of all right well then who's going to step into that car We now have a third potential driver change uh, for the upcoming season out of four full-timers. Where is that money going to come from? Uh, What sponsors are going to come with a driver? Of course, we're thinking, hey, could they want Kirkwood? Could they want this and that? Sure, but this is Alexander freaking Rossi. Uh, That's the part that gets a little bit hard to digest fall back to the same caveat. This is, seems like a year where anything could happen. Anything could happen. Rossi just feels like too much of a cornerstone of the team while under contract for the team to willingly let him go for money. Uh, when his contract is up at the end of next season, do I expect there to be hard interest from some teams? Yes. But, yeah, uh, uh, this would fall into the shock and awe category if a uh, premature separation were to happen. And I can't think of anyone other than Penske that might be interested in him ASAP. Ross Porter is MP with Vassar Sullivan branching out from DCR in a couple of years. Could this be a chance for Zach Veach to get back into IndyCar? Um, I've heard that Zach has no interest in returning to IndyCar. So... I would say no to that. Says also, I really hope that Ed Jones is re-signed, despite what you're reporting. He's shown pace, but the cartoon anvil has other ideas. I'd hate to see his career in the series end like this. Yeah, there were much higher hopes for how the season would go with Ed. Obviously, overstatement alert! Uh, uh, Overstatement alert! Cartoon Anvil, definitely been a a riding mechanic with uh, that number 18 entry this year at a, a number of events. Can't lie, though, and say that if you take away the Cartoon Anvil, Ed's been awesome all year long. Um, whether it's mistakes, not getting the most out of himself, the... The criticism of Ed in the past has been fire in the belly. It's not always a constant. Uh, When he is fired up, man, you know it. Just a few too many days where you go, boy, I can't think of anything really bad that happened. And yet you're nowhere. But your rookie teammate, and I realize he's a Formula One veteran and super elite and great, but just a few too many days, Ross, where I'd say if the team's having to take an honest look at drivers and performances, too many instances where there's been problems in pit lane or mechanical issues or contact, right? Just Mid Ohio, perfect example. Only one car hit. The spinning willpower, and of course it was Ed, right, and I'll say that to be critical of Ed, I'm just like if you look at how the season's gone, of course it's Ed. It could be no one else but the eighteen car. Everyone else avoided him, but the eighteen car you gotta look at that though and go, well, uh, it's not like you're the next car in the scene, <laughs> right? It's not like you were one spot behind Dixon and power and boom, nowhere to go. It's a lot of people that went by on the left or right and avoided things. I'm not really trying to get into boy, bad Ed Jones and any of that. I'm just saying you go, well, it's a thing. A team will think about how are we the only one? It's a natural reaction. We weren't the first car on the scene, so therefore, since others came before us, know that this happened in a very compressed amount of time, but I'm just trying to illustrate, Ross. These are the things that come through a team's mind. If we weren't the first on the scene, other cars got there before us, and they all went left or right, how did we go straight down the middle and break the suspension off our car and end our day? Just curious. How were we the ones to get this wrong? If that's your first negative result of the year you go oh man bad luck when it's just the latest in a string of whether it's car or driver related disappointments just understand it just becomes a weight that is about to break whatever is holding it and in this case the opportunity to return and continue driving for the team so The charge against Ed is, man, when he is on fire, he is hard, hard to contend with on track. There's just a few too many days where, again, I'm talking about feedback I've received from teams. Just a few too many days where you go, wow, I don't know why there's such a big gap between you and your teammate, and we wish there wasn't. So put all that together, Ross, and there will be a different driver in that car next year. As uh, James Sully Sullivan from Vassar Sullivan Racing mentioned in an article that we did last week, there will be changes coming to that car next year. He didn't mention Ed specifically. There'd be no reason for him to make a statement like there will be changes for 2022 if he's talking about Well, we're going to change our caterer, (laughs) right? You know, I really don't like the the napkin vendor uh, in hospitality. We're going to change that Uh, in light of where the team is right now with that 18-car entry, which is next to last among the full-time drivers, only Dalton Kellett. And when I say full-time, I guess I should say someone who's completed the full season, Right, Felix Rosenquist missed two rounds. He's fallen behind in points, but pretty much everyone else behind them are all true part-timers. But if we're talking those who've completed every round. Ed and the 18 car are next to last in the championship. So even if Ed was blameless, had done nothing wrong all year long... As we know from past instances in racing, but certainly other sports, you're going to have a change when a team has its worst season ever. For the 18 car in this Coin vassar sullivan relationship, this is the worst they've ever performed. And in that scenario, knowing that they have plenty of drivers they can consider for that entry you would have to expect even if ed had truly been perfect from start to finish this kind of season is what warrants a response from sully of there's going to be changes next season all right let's uh, see where do we go next ryan terpstra should we start calling it crazy season uh this year instead of silly season uh says tip my hat to you on the Jack Harvey to RLL story it's kind of you but i mean uh I, I don't know if my story went out any sooner than others uh says we're praying for Robin Miller awesome thank you and says if you could channel your inner Robin Miller in place of is Oliver ask you in a full time seat in 2022 um says the uh number 28 29 card in and the 60 car at Marshank Racing all look open I don't know if I fully mentioned Oliver as a possibility for the 60 car as much as I should. Realize I'm repeating something I've mentioned a few times before. I also know that we often have new listeners who might not have heard everything in the past on the show uh, or read all the nonsense that I write. But when determining who to put in the number zero 06 car for this year's Indy 500, and the five other races they would be doing, uh, Shank whittled it down to Elio Castro Neves and Oliver Askew. Ultimately went with Elio, as we know. Cannot, uh, can find no fault with that decision, obviously, winning the 8500. Uh, but he is someone who's still on their radar. Would he be tested by the team sometime soon? Uh, I'm not, uh, I don't know. I haven't asked. Uh, I probably should. I do know Oliver is coveted by a few, more than a few folks right now. But I don't know if that coveting, is that a word? I don't know if that coveting, Ryan, aligns with, hey, dude, you're going to be full-time next year. Another obvious statement, alert, I sure hope he is. Andretti is a place that wants him obviously just tested with Ray Hall would think he would be a candidate for a third car if the budget is found for that Shank certainly I think would be pleasantly surprised by how good he is and how far he's come uh since having one full season in IndyCar and then the two uh sub roles that he's had this year I mean he's developed a lot in a short amount of time I know that Oliver is also being looked at on the sports car side in IMSA. Uh, I'm aware of a test he's meant to do here sometime soon. Uh, I need to check with the team if they'd be okay with me mentioning that. Um, Hard to say. Wish I had some sort of, all right, man, the the inside tip, Ryan, is he's going to be in this car or that car next year. The best I can tell you is I believe Oliver will need to make a decision on where he is racing full-time next year. That's a huge improvement from, um, would somebody let me race their car, please? Because I ain't got nothing. Done a great job this year for Andretti Autosport in IMSA's WeatherTech Sports Car Championship in LMP2. Uh, he obviously kicked off the year in fine fashion, winning the Rolex 24th Daytona with Rally Motorsports, then switched over to the uh, Andretti team in LMP3. Uh, he's been the clear leader there, doing some great stuff. But uh, if nothing else, I would say Oliver will be very likely driving in the top IMSA class next year if... No serious IndyCar opportunity develops. Uh, Ike Josh from Reddit, Marshall with RLL, MSR, and Aaron McLaren SB, all talking about expanding their teams. Could we be looking at 27 full-time cars in 2022? So says, if the number of entries keeps going up, is there any chance that the leader circle could get expanded to include more than 22 cars sometime In the next few years. Awesome question. I wish I could give you a detailed answer. And it's not that I lack knowledge on this, Ike Josh. It's that I'm in the midst of doing a story about this. So as my loyalties need to always go to those who uh, allow my wife and I to live uh, and pay for things and, and have sustenance and whatnot, Uh, one of the hopefully somewhat rare occasions on the show, Josh, where, or Ike, Josh, where uh, I need to defer to got to get that story done for a client first before I can really talk about it on the show. But to your point of full-time cars next year, yeah, (sighs) wrote about it. Haven't seen any questions on it so far. If it's further down the list here from our pal, Jim Kaiser, I apologize, but Uh, The Air McLaren SP third car expansion, uh, that's one we'll definitely stick here for just a second with. And I've heard they're pretty close to believing they are going to be three cars next year. I've heard that they are actively, as I wrote, recruiting staff to finish out the ability to run a third car full time. And they're putting in all the work and doing all the things that you would need to do if you're expecting to be three cars, as I have been told, the driver's side is the one hang-up. And it's people to talk to, some possibilities out there, not a ringer. Like, oh, yep, that person's either coming our way from another IndyCar team or coming from outside of IndyCar, but we know they're going to be amazing. As I'm told they lack that ringer to say, yep, press the button, off we go. Know that Sam Schmidt and others have said among the leadership, we need to have the full budget in place to do it before we we say, yes, it's going forward. With everything that McLaren has been able to do on the budget side, this is the honestly the one team in the paddock I no longer worry about. Like, hey, if we need money to do something, uh, I have full expectation they will be able to find it and do it. So I think it's just a case of finding the right fit. The other aspect that I know for sure is they're not looking for a veteran. They're not looking for a Pagino. They're not looking for a Hunter Ray. They're not looking for someone latter stages of their career. So... While I wish I could tell you that I knew who was number one priority for that third car, I don't know who that person is. I have a feeling it's going to be a a pleasant surprise if and when it happens, and that gives me a little bit of excitement here. Some of the things like this, though, Ike, Josh, to close us off, money, right? If there's a full budget to do that, third RLL car and again that mystery fourth car maybe but if there's the money for that third RLL car that'd be awesome expansion. Shanks already confirmed they're going up an extra car so now they're going to be two full-time so great definite expansion there. Air McLaren SP we know they're going to be two next year. Felix Rosenquist, Pato Award and Let's see if and who they get close to and who they announce. I can't wait. Truly, this is some of the fun stuff that uh, you look forward to learning. Going to move on to Jared Burcham. How you doing, Jared? Uh, MP, hope you and the wife are doing great. Joseph Newgarden has announced he's having the Celebrity Ping-Pong Tournament again. Going to do it at the Nashville Race Weekend. He's going to partner with Ryan Blaney. He says, if you're going to play Joseph, which driver would you want to partner with? And are you playing to win? They're just playing to have fun and trash talk your opponents. All right. Brilliant question, Jared. Joseph Newgarden, Robo Pong, family, business. We can just assume that he's kind of ninja level when it comes to uh, good old table tennis. No clue about Blaney, uh, but hopefully he's good. So they're going to have the upper hand no matter what. Joseph is that guy. The only person that I can think of to partner with that would maybe, maybe have a chance of knocking New Garden off his game is his teammate, Will Power. Uh, Power is his kryptonite when it comes to being serious. Uh, Just, and you got to imagine a crazy Will Power. Like, you know, what am. My fat ass, I'm going to have to stand off to the side just to give Will enough space um, to play with here. But you got to imagine power is going to be talking so much trash, saying like, I would say crazy things, but no, just normal willpower things. Joseph's going to be laughing. Joseph's going to be worried that Will might come across the table and I don't know, uh, smack him in the head with a paddle. I don't know. Dive under the table and uh, bite his knee? I don't know. But these are the variables. This is the wild card. That is willpower. That's my obvious choice. Pure mayhem. We're going to lose. But at least uh, New Garden's going to have to be seriously protecting himself at all times. Mike Jablow and Steve Grinstead, you send in questions about the new NBC television contract with IndyCar. Uh, Mike opens saying, do you know how much NBC is paying for the new contract with IndyCar? Also do team owners get a percentage of the TV money? I wish I knew Mike. Uh, those are things that NBC tends not to share. And I have not done any digging to try and find out because honestly, I don't really care. Uh, team owners do not get a slice of TV money. Could that change in the future under new contracts? If things become more popular, Could that change if, as Michael Andretti and some other team owners have pushed for some form of charter or franchise-style shift so that there's real acknowledged value to owning a team, something that is a commodity that others could purchase uh, or maybe purchase their own from IndyCar to become an owner? Could this be a thing where instead of independent contractors realize that these teams have one real business link with IndyCar and that is those who sign leader circle contracts, right? They're obligated to show up at every race in order to get that money. Beyond that, though, a Dale Coyne, an AJ Foyt, a whomever, they have no business ties to IndyCar. This is a a unique thing in sports, obviously. If we think of football, baseball, whatever else, basketball, franchise systems, these are things where there is a true tether to the mothership. There's governance and all kinds of things that happen. Used to have that in the cart and uh, champ cart era, but that has not been the case. There are a lot of folks, too. Uh, Quite often the team owners themselves from back in those cart franchise days who had a lot of negative things to say about that structure. Owing to the fact that, what, barring Ed Carpenter and Mike Shank, am I forgetting anybody else? I'm sure I am. But for the most part, the majority of team owners involved in IndyCar today um, have some sort of links back to the cart era either as drivers, owners, or both. And so if they loved it, and if it was super extra quadruple awesome, you would think that those folks who comprise the majority of the paddock would be pushing and fighting and would have been forever to get a franchise system put back in place. They haven't, but I would say the newer... The newer notion here is not so much, hey, we want to go back to the cart franchise thing and all the complications that it brought. I think it's just more a case of money, value, asset, something that says what we possess, what we contribute can be sold, can have a serious number attached to it, And for those coming in, and we welcome you, but we've laid the groundwork. We have made all this possible. Uh, You don't get to just come in and share in that. I don't know about that thing. That was one of the stickier points uh, during the cart franchise era. But just know that overall here, nothing in place right now, Mike, that really aligns IndyCar's team owners, we'll just call it the paddock, and the series as being on the same financial page, uh, contractual page, governance page, right? When teams show up at the track, sure, there's a rule book, they must adhere to it, but uh, when they step away, go back home, again, they're fully independent team, can do whatever they want, and things would have to change there, uh, I would say, for IndyCar to consider the passing down of money from a TV contract. Could they package if there was extra money coming in and slice that up and then add some extra dollars to a leader circle? Sure. That would be the one easy way to do that right now. Just haven't heard about that being a thing. Uh, Steve Grinstead, uh, he says, with the news that IndyCar will remain on NBC, how does this news benefit the teams? Do you perceive the race as being streamed only uh, as a good or bad thing? great question steve i'm gonna take another sip of coffee just because i need to this i was meant to get a commentary piece about this out last week sadly uh i'm only eight days behind there so hopefully i get that done here shortly but this is a big deal this is a very big deal a very very positive thing in one specific regard with NBC saying we're going to continue the move from your series being a darling of cable and uh, not great ratings to a featured sports property. This year, out of the 17 planned races, nine were meant for Big NBC, the network itself, where the greatest ratings come from, Eight were meant for cable. Obviously, that's dropped down to seven with cancellation of Toronto. They're stepping up to 13 on the big network next year. I would think that would continue. It's a little hard to execute a new contract, say, hey, we're going to do big things, and then in the second year, like, go, nah, we're going to go back and and give you second-tier treatment for most of the year. So I think that's going to be kind of a fixture. It's the ratings, Mike. That's where this contract is so valuable. Being on NBC for three quarters of the races, maybe even more, we'll see what the final tally is on the calendar for next year, but the vast majority of IndyCar races are going to be on NBC's biggest platform for eyeballs and Nielsen ratings to be generated. That in turn is a huge help for teams to find new sponsors keep their current sponsors ask their current sponsors for more this is a straight-up advertising buy that's what racing sponsorship is i know this is another thing that for veteran fans of the sport you know this stuff not everybody does so i'll just uh share that you, we call it sponsorship this is advertising buys and The value for how much a company contributes to a team is based on a lot of factors, right? But the one that has been central, the number one item in the majority of these business dealings is the Nielsen rating. How many people watched? And as that number goes up, the ability to ask for more money because the advertising we are giving you now has more people, more potential buyers. These things rise and fall. The amount of money contributed or taken away slightly, whatever, ebbs and flows with those Nielsen ratings. And so that's where this move, Mike, is massive for IndyCar, massive for its teams. By and large, because we have some big new financial needs coming in 2023 with this hybrid engine package and a lot of the items that will need to be purchased to go with the car uh changes and updates uh to work with that hybrid power plant Uh, numbers coming out of 2022 on big nbc these are the things are going to help those teams to go and get hopefully that extra money to pay for things in 23 and i hear a leaf blower going off outside i don't know how much that's coming in on the mic but Uh, Sorry, had no idea. I never record these for the most part on a Tuesday morning, but hey, that's uh, how the week is playing out. Um, You also mentioned the the streaming part. Man, I got to admit, I am at a total loss for the folks who are pissing and moaning about the two races being aired exclusively or primarily, however we should put it, on Peacock. I saw one auto and kind of racing outlet even wrote a story about that. Granted, they always write some sort of like the worst takes on IndyCar, uh, the worst headlines. The, are you like, you gotta be sitting there in a planning meeting saying, Ooh, we're going to get clicks, uh, by writing this nonsense. Um, I don't get it. I really don't get it. Uh, for those who want to know or care Uh, The Peacock Premium or whatever costs not very much. Uh, You don't necessarily have to obligate yourself for a full year or whatever else. Um, I just don't see this as a thing to get worried about, that two races next year to be determined. We can assume they aren't going to be big marquee events because obviously the teams in the series would say, no way in heck are you going to make the long beach grand prix a a peacock thing we need the biggest numbers from our biggest events would say that this just feels like an evolution right hey streaming new reality for most of us in this country big surprise they're wanting to push this and to try and make it more of a thing i just see this as a natural evolution steve uh would IndyCar teams, of course, want every race on NBC or NBCSN? Realize NBC is SN's going away, so it's going to be USA Network next year. But would they want everything televised compared to stream Not a word, but hey, sure. Eh, I don't know if I take this in any kind of truly negative way. I expected it. I think anybody who's been following IndyCar's TV evolution in recent years should have expected it. Same with the teams, etc., cetera, et cetera. Um, I don't see what all the fuss is about here. There you go. Uh, Fred J. Melky says, Do you have any info on the IndyCar test at Worldwide Technologies Raceway, also known as Gateway, this week? Uh, it is technically closed to the public, but the cartplex inside the track is open until 8 p.m. I might head over... Uh, head over the river if I can identify when they will be testing. Yes, Fred, if you take a look on racer.com and the IndyCar tab, I wrote about who's testing where not only last week, but this week and I think next week as well. So there's a whole story there and uh, Gateway is certainly included. Uh, Austin Sutton says if IndyCar is trying to add more ovals to balance the schedule, but also keep the total race count in the high teens, which road a street course that has been on the schedule is likely to be removed from the rotation and why? Great question. Austin just mention here that Roger Penske in a recent interview said 18 is the highest number we might look for in terms of events next year. That would be up from one up one from the 17 that have been planned for the last little while. So, I wouldn't go so far as to the, well, we got to lose one in order to have one uh, type thing. It might just be, we're getting an extra one. Um, Double header at Texas. Would that return to a single header uh, and then accommodate an additional oval? I think that might, might be the easiest place to look with the slight covid modifications to this year's calendar compared to last year's which was radically altered uh doubling things up at texas definitely helped get the uh, overall event count up austin i don't know how many teams would be lobbying for another double header in light of all the uh, crash damage that happened this year so i think that might be the easiest way to say hey if we're going to add another oval cool uh we already go to texas we don't necessarily need to bump up the overall race count by doing a double there, so I'd say instead of losing a road or street course, that's what jumps out as the most natural. Uh, the Indy road course races, right? That's now something that happens twice a year. It's the cheapest, easiest thing for them to do. Uh, we'll see how being well, we'll see how things go in the middle of August. Uh, with the big machine spiked coolers grand three i don't know if that harvest grand prix type second ims road course race is feeling like a permanent thing now i can tell you that in terms of excitement from teams there's none <laughs> about going back to the road course there uh, for a second round of course, there are questions as to whether Toronto will be back and fully awesome and amazing next year. Questions about, you know, is there a extension coming with Portland and how long might that be? Uh, there is a multi-year in place with Laguna, so I think that's pretty safe. We expect Nashville to be a raging success, so there's that. Mid-Ohio is going nowhere. Road America is going nowhere. Uh, Belle Isle going nowhere same with st pete same with barber i just don't see the existing rotor street course austin if there was that dynamic you mentioned of having to lose one to get another oval i just can't find the spot where that would happen so yeah i think that uh that texas thing i mentioned might be the deal all right i'm looking at our questions not a ton more uh so it's not a bad thing uh, John Hollinger, hey MP, all the best to you and yours. With the Olympics going on, have you been? You have been appointed president of the IndyCar Olympic Committee and can name five drivers to represent our nation in the game uh, games. Who do you pick? And what events do you enter them in? I says the difficulty here, no cycling. All right, man, you just kind of got me on that one. All right, so if I'm gonna have to pick five Americans, uh, can I? pick Pick Joseph Newgarden twice, and no. Uh, let's see. So, if we're going Olympics, we got to think athletic. So, Jair Hildebrand would be one, and I realize he's only done one race this year, but hey, that's one more than most of us, and he's American, so he qualifies. Uh, so, Jair is going to be one uh, baseball guy, athletic guy in general. So, going to go with him. Going to go with Hunter Ray, right? Uh, definitely I mean I want to pick Colton Herta. Uh not exactly a physical specimen but uh, I'm looking down the list I might have to uh, ask you right bigger kid uh, I don't know if size really matters Connor probably uh, for sure uh, he'd be involved in wrestling kind of a obvious answer there uh, where else do we go here um, new garden for sure have what is that, four already? Or five Graham Ray Hall. I don't know if I'd accuse him of being the most most athletic guy. Uh Or do we replace him with Cody Ware, who's done one race, but is they're both fairly tall, but I have a feel that Cody has a better chance of being able to dunk. Here's the thing <sighs> Unless unless there's a real auto racing aspect to IndyCar or to uh, the Olympics. I don't know if I'm seeing any of our drivers, American drivers being one. So I could say, yeah, I'm not saying they'd slot right in. They'd need to work like heck and train like mad to get an opportunity. But if they did, they have the glimpse of potential to be on some form of, u.s olympic roster i can't think of anything any of the ones that i've mentioned might qualify for i guess you know granted you take every single u.s olympic athlete and not a single one of them would be able to come within a zillion miles of competing like our american indycar drivers do so you know it's not a total slight on our driver's side but yeah uh I don't know if there's a lot there, John. Uh, I realized that as of this morning, from when I looked, uh, the good old America leads gold medal count, but oh boy, we've been getting just shellacked in a lot of a uh, lot of areas where we normally are are taking home gold. So I don't know if we need to add to the disappointment by filtering in five <laughs> American IndyCar drivers because I feel like that's those are losses waiting for it, more losses terms of gold waiting for us uh let's see joey tebin we're staying on this olympic theme while watching the olympic triathlon i had a great or terrible idea for an indycar biathlon run 100 laps on an oval using the uh oval arrow kit then quickly convert the track to the road course configuration and then send the drivers out for 50 laps still with the oval arrow kit i don't know if anyone's ever tested the oval arrow kit on a road course but i imagine it would be pretty terrible comparatively to drive And also very much amusing to watch. So your formula would be the Olympic crashing event. Because yes, other than the drivers just going very slow in the corners and braking very early and gently accelerating, which is what would be required with the massive uh, drop, if we're talking the Speedway uh, oval arrow package, that's what would be required just because you've cut down force in half. Uh, so, yeah, it'd be either really slow and boring because nobody could really attack any aspect of the track other than the middle section of the straights, or it'd be drivers pushing too hard and all crashing into each other. So, boring or crashing, I'll go with a terrible idea here, Joey. Uh, Jason Hatfield, you're closing the Olympic thread. If motor racing was added to the Olympics, which car would you choose for any and all drivers to have to compete in? Uh, Also says hashtag Prude. Thank you there. That's our uh, official listener group. Uh, Informally led by John Wojnar. Uh, Power went to his head a little bit recently, referring to it as his group. So I got to love that. Uh, It's a group comprised of many who are silly, who love bench racing and talking about hot dogs and life in the universe and everything. Uh, Boy, which car? Great question, Jason. I'm going to go, because there should be a lot of them available, I'm going to go with the retired Pro Mazdas, the ones that have been replaced by the Atatus Indy Pro 2000 chassis. I'm going to go with those Pro Mazdas. They sound like race cars, right? Like twin rotor motor buzzing away. I mean... There's a little bit of a electricity to that sound compared to just a farty-sounding, naturally aspirated four-cylinder uh, Mazda that's in them right now. So the twin-rotor Mazda, the Pro Mazda, I think they look good, right? They still look good, and there's a lot of them. And the grip-to-power ratio is pretty darn solid. You think about some of the, the high-quality drivers to uh, compete in Pro Mazda and win titles or come close, And boy, they just look like they're awesome. So I would say those, having engineered those, having worked on those as well, uh, yeah, I love them. So I want to hear a little buzzy twin rotor Pro Mazda's running around. And yeah, uh, let's do that. And I'm sure there are better answers, but none of them came to mind. Uh, Fleetwood Marky Moose. At Marky underscore Moose from the Twitters uh, heads us towards our winding down here. Says, hey, MP, have been blasting the sounds of Fontana that you posted during the break and even got a, a dear neighbor to step out of the house and observe. I swear I hear race cars. Well, ha! You have uncovered my master plan, Marky underscore Moose, and that is to fill the world with awesome, awesome Kart IndyCar sounds. Uh, Your question, he says, do you think the new 2.4-liter twin-turbo V6s will get back closer to those cart sounds, or are there just too many other variables that make predicting it impossible? Would expect the new motors to sound nothing like the old cart V8s, uh, just the difference in cylinders, revs, you name it, just going to remain a very different sound uh, than what we had back then. The hope there should be, I would say, a angrier sound coming from the new motors. There's no change in RPMs, so we're not going to get something, uh, I would say, even better in terms of audio quality. That tends to come from an increase in revs. 12,000 RPMs, which has been the limit since this new motor formula came out, the 2.2 liter, 12,000 has been the limit. Uh, since they debuted in 2012, that is not changing going forward. It's a cost thing. and It really does get expensive when you have to uh, develop rotating items that can go above or, you know, can go higher 13, 14, 15,000. Sounds amazing. Like, truly, that's where sound quality comes from uh, in an IndyCar sense or Formula One or whatever else. But getting those extra thousands of RPMs, just oh, brutal costs uh, to get there. So that's why we're not getting a change in that capacity. But if we're talking about the power that these are supposed to generate, there should be some added ferocity to that. And I'm going to make a little marker here, and I'm hoping I remember. I'm going to try and find uh, a clip from mid-80s, 1.5 liter single turbo in most instances, but sometimes twin turbo Formula One motors, one and a half liters, like tiny, tiny things, but they were freaking nuclear weapons in terms of how much power they made, and would say in very general sense. They would not have revved beyond 11,000, 10, 11, 12,000. So about the same as we have now. But as you will hear them again, hopefully in just a second, there's a, holy crap, listen to that. Like the motor is screaming and trying to just blow up the world in order to get the power out into the ground. And you hear that through the exhausts. Just saying, that's what I'm hoping for here, Marky underscore moose on the good old Twitters, and that is with the increase of 100-plus horsepower from the motors on their own before the hybrid systems add in that 80 to 100 extra horsepower, which we won't hear and won't do anything to the sound, but this is where I'm hoping we're just going to get more anger out of the same-ish exhausts with the same RPM. That's what I'm holding out for. Caleb Whistler mentioned, how are IndyCar and its vendors preparing for possible shortages? I don't know. Uh, I'm not sure exactly what you're referring to. Uh, From a fuel standpoint, no real issue there. have heard nothing from Firestone in terms of everything they need to make tires. Uh, Only thing that's come up and been asked not too long ago in the show, What about on the computing side? We hear about these computer chips that uh, aren't going into a lot of things, whether it's road cars or otherwise, could that be an issue? We're not looking at new cars, new electronics and whatnot for a little while from now. So I would think the ability to catch up and resolve those issues, any supply issues there, i don't know if things are going to really have a deep deep impact in that regard uh for what's coming with indycar the only caveat been trying to get an update on this is the overall hybrid unit Uh, we obviously have the batteries we have the mechanical portions the the motor generator units we have yada 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 uh that's been the thing that we know has pushed back the expected delivery of those to the middle of 2022 just need to get a little bit of an update on that if there's been the ability to overcome the production issues that covid brought last year or if they are on track but as for the rest of the car there's not much else i can think of caleb that would be uh, delayed and hindering indycar in any way at least next season uh tim falkowitz is if you could take one person from the IndyCar paddock and have them lead a Formula One team, who do you think would be the best person for the job? Wow, look at that. Look at that. That's a great question right there. First name that jumps out here, Tim, is Tim Sendrick. Uh, guy is cold as ice. A unflinching mercenary when it comes to executing the things that He wants to, that he sees needs to be improved. The guy strikes me as someone who would be a perfect fit for Formula One. Uh, No emotions, no concerns for anything other than excelling and winning. Deals with high-powered people on a daily basis and does so with exceptional, exceptional results. Those are all the things you're looking at in Formula One as a team boss. So have zero clue if it would ever interest him. Uh, I think he's got a job for life there at Penske. I don't think the the organization would benefit in any way to his departure. So, yeah, can't see how or why he would leave, but he does jump out as the perfect guy to uh, answer your question there, Tim. Uh, David Kubine uh, responded to this on Twitter twitter but i'll I'll take this quickly here as we let's see you are the third to last i know penultimate is second to last i don't know what the word is for next to next to last mention uh you appreciate my speaking voice as it's well suited for podcasting and broadcasting and i appreciate that but i don't know man it's just the voice i got so i just open my mouth and it makes sounds uh, you say as a native Kentuckian. I love that you frequently say y'all. Uh, not something often heard from a Northern Californian. Can you tell us where you may have picked that variant up? Uh, yeah, that's my dad. Uh, boy, I wish he was still here. He was so cool. But, yeah, my father was from uh, Lee County, Arkansas. And he, in time, as you might expect, Uh, lost more and more of his Arkansian uh, twang but I was indeed raised by a son of the south the deep south uh, farm boy, country boy Um, so his voice, his phrasing his expressions uh, yeah, that's just how I was raised picked up so many, loved it so y'all, I mention that or use that every now and then and it's not kind of a I don't know, I'm not trying to co-opt some uh, southern culture for fun. Like, it's just something that, you know, I grew up hearing that and all my dad's little phrases and whatnot. uh, Whenever I'd screw up uh, something and he was wanting to make fun of me instead of, you know, reprimand me, fire off, uh, you know, son. And with, you know, his accent, son, you're about as sharp as a bag of wet leather. And uh, it's just a little little grace notes like that david that i love so yeah i mean cool right it's the only thing that i knew it's not like i had multiple fathers but uh my dad from arkansas raised me uh, i guess to be his kid heck even named me after him so um yeah uh arkansas football basketball uh, always on tv country music blaring in the house whenever uh he would, uh, overindulge on adult beverages. Um, and yeah, I don't know. It was kind of cool. I know that, that some kids, uh, that I grew up with whose parents might, they might've been first generation parents were from wherever else in the world, but spoke with a heavy accent. I know that there are some kids that I grew up with who were, I don't know if I'd say embarrassed, but like, Hey, wow, you know, they're so different. I want to protect them a little bit from my friends because I don't want to be made fun of as being different than them. I don't know, uh, David. I always loved the fact that my dad was different and different sensibilities, different accent, different you name it. And, boy, he uh, he had a lot of friends who, uh, who loved being around him. So, cool guy. Wish, uh, wish y'all could have known him uh, and met him. All right, penultimate question time goes to Matt Odland. How you doing, Matt? He says, recently ordered one of the Penske PC27 photo stickers from your merchandise section. Thank you, by the way, Matt. He says, I find that as one of the best-looking Indy cars to never win. What are some of the best-looking cars you've seen that went winless? Yeah, I, I gotta got to tell you here, I did debate a little bit of, well, that's recognized as possibly the worst Penske chassis ever, right? Uh that car is what inspired them to basically stop making their own race cars and just buy them off the shelf. They'd done that before, uh the off the shelf cars from March and whatnot and Lola, I guess, but um yeah, I had to debate that a little bit. The car looks so amazing though that I'm like, well, hopefully folks won't know all the history and they'll just look at it and go, that's amazing, I gotta buy that, and I want that. So thank you for purchasing one, Matt. Boy. I feel under to answer this correctly. Would say that there is certainly a uh, certainly a nod. To, I'm trying to remember uh, which one it was. I think there was a was it the ninety eight ninety nine Lola that kart Indy car and I'm, if it won a race and I forgot then that's just my bad memory. But I got a chance to work on the ninety nine Lola when I was at Hogan. I thought the car was gorgeous. I thought it was better looking than the Renard or any anything else except for the PC twenty seven. Again, yeah, no, I'm struggling to remember if it actually won a race. Lola was a bit on on a bit of a downhill slide uh, at that point, but I thought that car looked great. Maybe the one other one that jumps out is just, I thought it looked spectacular, and it certainly did not win. That was the, uh, the final Eagle IndyCar chassis. Was it the, I forget the model number, but the 99 one. In particular, the one in Robbie Gordon's, uh john's manville that multi beautiful gorgeous thing i thought it just looked amazing even the uh the factory all-american racer ones uh in white with the eagle on the nose i just thought it looked great and i sure wish it had won so my brain's a little uh all over the place right now, Matt, I know that there are many, many, many from the 60s, 70s, and 80s that I've written about and loved, and maybe if I think of some more, I'll mention some more in the future. So, uh, But yeah, let's go with that eagle. Uh, that last 99 eagle is something that, especially in the Robbie Gordon colors, oh, pure delight. Uh, so sticking on that topic to close the show, it's a good fit, and we know it's a good fit because Jim does it. Uh, our man who puts the questions together, Jim Kaiser, says, merch hunters take note. This is his haiku. I got the Gordon Crew shirt, sportin' it at Seca. So uh, had a kind listener of the show donate some shirts for me to put onto the merchandise page and sell, uh, which, again, a uh, truly amazing gesture. And the the clear, oh, my gosh, if I had the money to spare, I'd buy it myself. One was that 99 Gordon crew shirt with the colors that I just mentioned. So Jim posted that uh, photo on or photos of him wearing it on Twitter uh, later yesterday. And I retweeted that. So yeah, thanks for buying that Jim. Seriously. Thank you. And uh, thank you to the listener who asks to remain nameless for uh, donating that a Ganassi crew shirt that sold, and there's three others still left. One a Conseco Foyt NASCAR crew shirt, and then two from F1 uh, engineering shirt from uh, Tyrrell Formula One team, and an engineering shirt from the Stewart Formula One program, Stewart Grand Prix. So yeah, there you go. Well, thanks, y'all. This is a lot of fun, and gonna have our man Nick Yeoman from uh, IndyCar Radio. He's going to be our guest. Why Mr. Yeoman instead of an IndyCar driver? Well, during this month-long break, just want to have some friends on here, some folks that you might not hear from during normal rotation during an IndyCar season where it tends to be all drivers or team owners or similar. So, don't know how many of you listen to IndyCar radio compared to watch and receive your audio input during the TV broadcasts from our pal Lee Diffie and others, but always had a uh, a big affinity for mr yeoman good guy fun guy and i hope you enjoy his visit and whatever questions y'all might send in for him all right i am marshall pruitt this is our marshall pruitt podcast the week in Indycar listener q and a powered by you and brought to us by cooper tires the justice brothers and torontomotorsports.com